The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. November 5th, 2023, Anger Hidden in the Heart, Part 3. So the gospel changes everything. And that is what is really cool about God's Word is if you actually look back. So if we're looking at Ephesians 4, because now we're going to go into how do we, how do we become, as um, Jim Neuheiser says, a person of anger to a person of grace. Because that's what we're becoming, right? As we are becoming transformed by God's Word, transformed by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, into Christ is the gospel that first transforms us for salvation, right? But then continues to transform us. And what's so amazing about the gospel is that, and I love, I love, love that Pastor Phil, always, he really always leaves off with the gospel, no matter what he shares with us on Sundays. And so it's no longer about what we really do, but it's about what Christ does through us. And so what is Christ and what can Christ do through us as we um, seek to be people of grace rather than people of, of anger or wrath or malice or slander or clamor or bitterness and so, so that we can put away all of those things. And when we put away all of those things, you know, it's not that we're not going to struggle with them, but are we growing in grace so that we are continuing to look like him? And um, because if we're not being transformed, um, we need to consider that. We need to think, are we different than we used to be in our children? Our husbands are, um, should see, our friends should see us looking different and becoming different as we grow. And that's a, we've talked about that before. It's a slow process, right? It's not overnight. Sometimes transformation, God is gracious with us, and sometimes things happen more quickly than other times, but, but it can be slow. So, but we're not to be discouraged because he does want to transform us, and that's the exciting part. So I left off with the gospel last time, which was um, Ephesians 4, and chapter, yeah, chapter 4, and then verse 2, um, let's see. I think this there. Um, did I lose my spot? All right, so I think I left. Nope, down here. New life. Okay, sorry. So it's not chapter two. Or not not verse two. Um, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so we were once these things, right? And so now we're called to something new. And we have other verses like, I can't remember the, 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 the reference, but talking about how we're a new creation in Christ. And so we are to put off this old self. So later we're going to talk about, talk about the put on, sorry, the put off, renew, and put on. But again, the gospel changes everything. So I wanted to talk about some perspective before we, because I think that having the right heart set is really crucial to helping us overcome our thinking. Because we can definitely practically put things off, right? We're called to practically put these things off. But if the gospel is the center and our perspective, our thinking is right, it helps transform us. That's what God's Word does. So, I just read Ephesians 4. Um, I'm not going to. 
It's somewhere after 17. Thank you. Okay, there you go. Um, and and then Philippians 4, 8 through 9 tells us to think on whatever is true, noble, pure, right, good, excellent, anything worthy of praise. And so we're deliberately putting these things on. So first, what is it that to, for us to think about what is it that I'm not getting or that I have that I do not want, right? We talked about that before in James 4, 1 through 4. Um, James talks about how, do you guys remember that verse? How we, we want what we want. Right, we fight and quarrel because we don't get what we want. So a lot of times, when, so stopping and thinking, what is it that I'm not getting that I want that is causing me, that I'm choosing, because it's choice, right? We're choosing to become angry over. And then two, I'm not God. Remember we talked about anger as a perceived judgment, whether it's right or wrong. Oftentimes it's a wrong judgment on our part um, because it's not righteous. Um, I'm not God. God is the judge. We, t- we see that in Genesis 50, which is the story of Joseph. Joseph even says, you know, you meant this for harm, but God meant this for good. And he will use it for his purpose. And he did, right? He saved, he saved them. He saved a, a whole people group because of that. Um, and then Romans 12. I'm going to power through because we have a lot of things to get through this morning. So Romans 12. I think it's 17 and 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That was 17, sorry. And then 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So again, we're not, we're not the judge. So when we rightly see ourselves as not the judge and God is the judge, that helps us when we are um, becoming... Potentially becoming overcome with anger or being angry. When we realize that each of us is, so this is, God has been very, that God has been very gracious to us in Christ. When we realize that each of us is foremost, so chief, as Paul explains himself, among sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15, and that we have been forgiven an overwhelming debt, our hearts will be moved to show grace to those who have wronged, as Neuheiser said. Just think about that for a minute. It makes me think about his loving kindness leads us to repentance. So it's not my anger, it's not my wrath towards my family or my children that's going to make them pop up and go, oh, I should obey mommy. But it's my gracious acts towards them when they especially don't deserve it. And that's how Christ is towards us. And that's the gospel. That is what motivates us to become people of grace rather than people of anger. Isn't that beautiful? That we are the chief among sinners that we have an overwhelming debt that's been paid for us. And Christ paid that debt when we were still sinners. He died for us. And so when we have that mindset, it helps us to turn that anger into kindness and compassion and tenderheartedness towards others. And that's what draws them to Christ. It's not the judgmental attitude. Right. It's not the anger. It's not, you should be doing this. What's right. wrong with you? And that's what drew us to Christ, right? It was his loving kindness that led us to repentance, in which we did not deserve. The gospel actually puts out the fires of anger, Neuheiser says, and replaces them with living water of grace. Makes me think of the, in, is it Proverbs? I think it's Proverbs. It talks about that, um, that when we're, is it when we're kind, we reap, it's like reaping coals on someone's head, right? And so that picture of, 
because um, it's like the opposite of what the world would think, right? right. They, they would want to turn and fight and pour the coals on the head so that it would get the other person back, but we're actually supposed to be kind, and God uses that to turn things on its head. Four, God is in control and is doing good through these things. So we can trust him again. Joseph's story, and then Romans 8:28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. So even our children, even the tiniest things, I've learned to say, and I'm still learning, but even the tiniest moments in our day, God is not surprised by those. Can you imagine? Like, but our God is so big. So I've, I've learned to say to myself, and I'm still learning, that he is not surprised by this moment. Therefore, I can learn from this moment. I, I can be transformed in this moment. And so can my children. And that is a really powerful thing. So Joseph refused to judge his brothers. He recognized that what man meant for bad, God meant for good. In James 1, 2-4, he uses trials to produce maturity and Christlikeness in his people. So we can trust that God is using our kids, our spouses, our family, our friends. He's using all of those things. He's using the stubborn child in our home that often shows us that we're very much like them. I'm a lot more like my stubborn child than I like to admit because um, yeah, and God is using him in my life to make me more like him. I need him just as much as he needs me. There's no mistake there. And you know what's sweet about God transforming things is that as God showed me the anger in my heart, he's become so sweet to me. And even worse than ugly, because I'm more predictable now. And so he knows what to predict rather than not sure what he's going to get this day. And again, not that it was explosive, but they can read us. They can, they can see. They're smarter than we give them credit for. <laughs> um, and it's just so peaceful. And, and I can also recognize more quickly, too, when, he, when he's not sure what's going to happen. And I can read the situation a little bit better. And that's what God does. He transforms our relationships because he doesn't want to leave us where we are. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that he showed that to me now rather than when he's leaving our house. And he is so stinking cute. Grandma was right. We shall learn to say that God is not surprised, like I said, and is working in these moments. Number five, remember who you are. You are a new creature in Christ. I'm look at what New Hydra says on this real quick. This is really good. Um, let's see. Angry people often feel stuck in their patterns of rage and helplessness. I felt stuck. While it is true that unbelievers are enslaved to sin, those who are united with Christ by faith have been set free from sin's bondage. We have died to sin once and for all and are now united with Christ in the newness of life, which is Romans 6, 4-7. We are now new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. No longer controlled by the flesh, but filled by the Holy Spirit, who is producing his wonderful fruit in our lives, Galatians 5, 13-23. The person who blows up in anger is going back to his old Christian life. When he tells himself that he can't control his anger, he is lying to himself and denying his new status in Christ. How we think of ourselves is determinative of how we act. Paul's first command in his epistle to Romans is even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Romans 6.11 The person who gets simply anger has forgotten his new gospel identity in Christ. Don't forget who you are. Um... 
they gave an example of a man who wanted a divorce because his wife wouldn't close the dresser drawers. Do you think she re- he really wanted a divorce because she wouldn't close the dresser drawers? No. No. It was the thousand times before that he never sought to be changed and transformed by the anger that was in his heart or to address the things that needed to be changed, right? <clears throat> All right. So, so now that was kind of the mindset, the heart set of, you know, who we are in Christ. And that allows us to have the pr- proper thinking. Um, but now we're going to talk about more practical things that we can do to help us put off, right? Because God doesn't just, doesn't just go, oh, here, here, think. But also, here's some things you can actually do to help yourself or to grow in Christ-likeness. So one, deal with problems on a daily basis and regularly confess, which is Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And I just gave you the example of the man who did not deal with his sin on a regular basis. Um, so confessing our sins to God, being quick to repent, asking our spouses or our friends or our, um, our children. I often repent right in front of my children and ask them for forgiveness and say, Mommy is wrong. In fact, one day my, one of my kids said, Mommy, I'm sorry for making you angry. And I said, no, 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 no. Mommy chose to become angry. You might have done something that triggered my anger. You know, you might have provoked me, but I still have a choice. I get to choose whether I am gracious towards you or whether I am angry towards you. And I don't want him to carry that. He has, he has to deal with his own sin. He doesn't have to. He's not responsible for my sin. Um, so, let's see. Neuheiser also talks about this. And I thought this was really good because um, he says, What does it mean to be angry and yet not sin? So, is Paul encouraging or making allowance for a certain kind of anger, which isn't particularly wrong? Because I don't believe so. Paul seems to be making the same point as James does in 119. Be slow to anger. Because you are in God's image, you will react against perceived injustice. Because you are fallen and sinful, you will often immediately feel the heat of anger when someone provokes you. At that point, you have a choice. Rather than allowing that anger to take up residence in your heart, Deal with it quickly and righteously. Then the devil doesn't have the opportunity to wreak havoc in your life and in the lives of others. So that was a really good explanation of that verse. Um, in Matthew 18, we're told to go to our brothers, right? That's the, the pattern of the church of how we first go to someone privately, and if that person doesn't, you know, that's not with every situation. You know, oftentimes we're told to look over offenses, so that probably happens more often than us actually having to go to someone. But we have that pattern. First um, Corinthians 13 tells us that love keeps no records of wrongs. It also tells us to assume the best. Can someone look up Proverbs 19 real quick? I think it's 1911. Am I talking too fast? I'm trying to get through a lot of information. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Okay, so we're not supposed to, we don't need to bring up everything, right? So those, that's, again, dealing with problems on a daily basis in some ways that we can do that by confessing, overlooking offenses, and also going to our brother quickly when we need to. Number two, understand that we can control and re- 
restrain our response to anger. Proverbs 29 says, A fool loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Proverbs 16.32 says, It teaches that a wise man rules his spirit. Colossians 2.3 tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that we have the power to be that wise person by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We can control our anger. God has given us a a spirit, his spirit, his Holy Spirit, to help us to rein in those emotions. He's given us emotions, but they, they are indications, but they should not be dictators of our actions. Um, I don't think I shared this last week. He said, um, this is from Jay Adams, what do you do when anger gets the upper hand? No, I can't control my temper. Did I read this one last week? I don't remember. But you can. I can't. Can. Can't. Can. Tell me how. Certainly. That's what I wanted you to ask in the first place. Do we ever feel like, like sometimes we can't control this? Like what is happening here? Like many others, you have bought the false line that under certain circumstances you are totally unable to control your temper. That is false, I say, because the Bible assures us that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can. God calls upon you to do just that. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but the wise man holding it back quiets it. We can in Christ. So, we have taught ourselves in certain circumstances to be controlled and others to not be. Kind of like the example of the mother who's like just lost it with her children because everything possible that can go wrong went wrong that day. And then I think the pastor's wife calls and all of a sudden, hello, after she just like let loose on her children. I'm sure in some way we probably all kind of have that story. Um, and so that's an example. Like we, we've learned, to, we've trained ourselves to let go in some situations and usually it's with our family or closest friends and then other situations not so much and I don't even know if it's always consciously sometimes it probably is and sometimes it's not um but that is good news at the same time because it means that we can deliberately choose and train ourselves the other way as well three we can prepare for temptation if you think about situations can you think about situations that maybe you're easily triggered by I can if you homeschool, you know that there's triggers, right? Like, I can picture morning time. It's not always the beautiful morning time that I picture in my head. Oftentimes, it's kind of chaotic. And then I learn to feed them. Imagine <laughs> 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 that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I prepared for temptation. I was like, Lord, what can I do here? It's a little crazy in the morning. Usually, I have a picture I send to my parents. I've been, like, cozy on the, the armchair that's in the, our school room. And they're, like, reading to each other and it's all peaceful. And then, like, the same day, the next picture is them, like, dogpiling each other. And that's what our morning time looks like sometimes. We do get school done, I promise. But that's what it looks like sometimes. And so I was just, it was funny because my husband even noticed he was across, he's across the house working in, in his office. And he, and he goes, what did you do? It was really quiet this morning. What did you do? And I was like, I fed them. And so just thinking about it, like, he's like, oh, nice, smart. I'm like, I know. Who would have thought, like, eight years later? Um, and so, yeah, just preparing for temptation. What can we do? You know, 
whoever, I don't know who it was, that sent out a really great, um, you know, the, the post on the pastor's blog. Um, I, I don't know who it was. I don't know if the elders put it together. But it was just, it was great giving parents ideas and tips about how they can help prepare their children for church on Sundays. So it's not as crazy getting out of the, the door, right? Like my, I have a child that I, that he never has matching shoes. I don't know how, but he never has matched, or he doesn't even know where they are. I'm like, you have 10 pairs of shoes. I don't know how you don't know where any of them are. And it's not like he's two, he's older. And, um, and so just making sure that they have a pair the night before or making sure they have a, you know, just there's things that we can do. So I really, whoever wrote that, I really appreciated that. It was really helpful. Or just like singing hymns the night before to kind of prepare our hearts for the next morning. So there, there are practical things that we can do or just like planning our day out so that we're not um, in a rush, giving ourselves extra time. There's just different things that we can do to prepare for those temptations. Um, Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Romans 13.14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So we can actually, again, prepare for temptation. So, um, sometimes, because we've told our children for the 50th time not to do something, that's a way that we can stop ourselves and go, you know what? I am just as much in the wrong here because I should not have told you 50 times. Because now mama is provoked, more likely to become angry. And that is a way that we can prepare our hearts too, is by just going to the Lord and saying, you know what, Lord? I was in the wrong. I should have not taken 50 times to tell my child this. I should have told them once. They didn't obey. There needs to be a plan of action. And that is a way that, how much more peaceful is that than telling them 50 times? I'm, I'm very guilty of that. Um, so, those are some ways that we can prepare. Pray. Right? We can pray and ask the Lord. It's the Lord that is working in us. And so, we, he needs to be involved in this process. And how is he not going to be, how is he going to be involved if we're not praying and going to him? Um, Continually seek God's help through prayer. We know our own weakness in the face of sin. We cannot bear any fruit apart from abiding in Christ. John 15:5. What a blessing it is to have a Savior who sympathizes with our weaknesses, was tempted in all ways as we are tempted, and who intercedes for us. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hebrews 4:16. Pray before temptation comes, so you will be ready. Pray for help in the time of temptation so you may respond with grace and not judgment. And ask others to pray for you, too. I'm so thankful for sisters that pray for me. Okay. Five. Take time to examine the reasons for our anger and use scripture to help. That's the renewal part, right? We're using God's... God has given us his word to help renew our minds and to make us more like Christ. All right. So... What a blessing that is. This is Wayne Mack's book. So the third aspect, his third aspect, of learning to be good and angry is taking time to examine the reasons for our anger. Whenever we start to become angry, we should immediately stop what we're doing. We don't have to continue. We can actually literally stop what we're doing. Think about what is happening. I often instruct my counselees to make up small cards to help them with this. When they're caught in a pattern of sinful response from years and years of practice, they need to be jolted out of it. 
I ask them to stop, write stop on one side of the card so that they can use it to remind them of when they find themselves falling into the old patterns. When we take time to stop and think, we are able to evaluate the reasons for our anger. Are we getting angry because some right of ours is being denied? Or is it because we love God and His truth and His righteousness? Are we really concerned about the kingdom of God and about advancing the cause of Jesus Christ? In this situation, Scripture indicates that many times our angry responses are related to pride and selfishness. So the bottom line is, for much of our sinful anger is because we have an agenda and someone or something else is standing in the way. And so we can prepare ourselves with Scripture and we can remind ourselves of what God says. Like, example here, let all bitterness and wrath be put away and said, put on kindness and tenderheartedness. We'll get to that in a little bit more. All right. I want to end with, is it okay to be angry with God? No. Not okay. Right? Um, I was listening to a podcast on anger, and Robert Jones uh, mentioned the difference between complaining and lamenting. And so sometimes when something happens, when we don't get what we want, or it's a big thing, a loss, or whatever it might be, um, and we're working through that. Psalm 13 gives us a really good example of, and Paul, often, not Paul, sorry, David often in the psalm, he starts off, this is a proper lament, and if you want to go there real quick. Um, I'm not going to, so Psalm 13. He starts off realistic, right? He's like, this is hard. Nothing wrong with saying it's hard. Life is hard, right? There's trials, there's temptations. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take my counsel, take counsel in my soul, and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So he's not denying that the situation's hard, right? He's being real about it, but he's not complaining to the Lord. He's not saying, it's not that we can't ask why even, but he's not saying, you know, look what you've done. This is, this is awful. I don't like this. And the Lord knows where we're at, right? He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. And we can ask for understanding. But then we recognize and we lift our eyes to the Lord, knowing that he is in control of all things. So I just wanted to end there with anger. Now we're going to switch over to stress. And we'll see how much we get through that. I think we could do it. Okay. So. And so I hope you guys have some good practical steps of overcoming anger. Um, but also. Um, really just a heart set. And remembering who we are in Christ. Last week. And if you weren't here last week. I have some extras. Um. This is New Heisers. 
he calls it practical application projects for overcoming anger. So I'm not going to reread it because I read it last week, but these are really helpful. Um, this is a kind of a shortened version of another one that uh, a biblical counselor did, and just really helpful to kind of help work through some things when you're angry, or if there's just something that's kind of ongoing. Um, so I'll leave it over here in case anyone wants it or didn't get it last week. Um, but those are really helpful. And there's a part in there, too, where it talks about scripture, so using scripture to help you overcome. All right, so in Wayne Mack's book, he actually talks about anger and stress. And he calls it stress management God's way. So it's not, you know, count to ten, all the, all the things that we can think about in regards to, you know, all the, the new psychology things that we are presented with today as to how to help us, um, but God's way, right? And that's how we want to deal with things, right? We don't want to deal with things the way that the world deals with things. We should be dealing with things and how scripture addresses them. So Max says no one can choose whether or not he or she will face stressors in life. The only choice we have is how we will be affected by and will respond to those stressors. The real question is, how can we overcome the stressors before they overcome us? Um, right? I don't think any of it. So none of us get out of this life without a stress-free life, without trials, without temptation. Um, before I go on real quick, I do want to, I think I put this in the wrong spot, so I want to go over this real quick. So, sorry, going backwards real quick to anger. Um, Ephesians 4, this is the verse that I was working out of. 431 through 32. So the top part, the reason why I did the different colors is because this is the part we're supposed to put off. So we're supposed to put off, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And then he actually gives us something to put on. So the renewal part is that we're reading scripture, we're going to the Lord, we're being transformed, right? The, um, is it Romans 12, 1 through 2? Where we uh, be, help me out, transformed not by the world, but be not conformed by the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may approve what is right. Um, And so we're renewing our minds by using scripture. And now we are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, so that's that's what a put off, renew, put on looks like. So we can actually use that pattern that God, he gives it to us all over scripture. This is not the only place. In fact, above in Ephesians 4, he does more of this too. And in Colossians, yeah. That, yeah. I use that method with in, in jail. Yeah. With the inmates. Yeah. Those that, you know, are believers. Right. And what they do to change their lives. And the world actually kind of, <clears throat> in its own way, has a, I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but anyways. Um, but we have God's word, right? And we have the Holy Spirit, so we can actually be transformed by those things. All right, so, sorry, now I'm jumping back in. So sources of stress. What do you guys think? What are some sources of stress? How about too much to do and too short of a time? Yeah. Yeah, we all have given been given 24 hours, right? And there's not enough time. Anything else? Finances. Yeah, that's a big one. That's the cause of, um, it, it's a high rate. It's like one of the number one causes why people get divorced. Yeah. Difficult relationships. So other people? Yeah. Any others? Work? Yeah. 
So he talks about it in um, a couple different ways. The stressors, the stressors from our environment. So that would be our, um, usually things that we can't control, like the weather. I don't know about you, but I can't control the weather. Um, car problems. <laughs> well, we love car problems, house problems, right? Things that come up that we have no control over. But again, we don't have to be surprised, right? Because God is not surprised. Or we might be surprised, but we can trust God who is not surprised. Another stressor he talks about is from our own limitations or deficiencies. Like Becky said that we, right, there's only 24 hours. Don't have enough time. Or maybe we're aging and we can't do what we used to. Um, I'm thinking about that as I'm going to be 40 when my baby comes. And I'm like, Lord, I'm not as young as I used to be. Help me. But he, he will help me. And I have three big helpers, too. So, aging. Um, maybe someone is more gifted than you are, right? We're constantly faced with those things as well. Um, that maybe something comes quicker for someone than someone else. Um, someone mentioned other people. I thought this was a really cute little story. So I'm going to read real quick. Of other people. So... There's a story about two porcupines that were living close to each other in Alaska. One winter, have you guys heard this one? No? One winter, when the weather was especially cold, they got the idea that maybe if they huddled together, they could keep each other warm. They agreed to try it, but soon decided it wasn't such a good idea after all. They discovered that as they tried to huddle together, they were needling each other rather than warming each other. So he says the story illustrates what often happens in our relationships with people. It seems that the closer we get to people, the more we get needled. What often happens is summed up in the little quip that says, Oh, to dwell there above with the saints that we love, that will be glory. But to dwell here below with the saints that we know, that's another story. Mm -hmm. Right? Sometimes it's hard. This one was really cute, too. Mother, I'm never going back to church again. His mother replied, Son, tell me why you're never going back to church again. I'm never going back there again because it's impossible to get along with those people. They don't listen to me. They don't care about me. They just aren't very nice. Well, son, the mother responded, you are going back to that church, and I'll give you two reasons why. First, you're going back because you're 40 years old, and second, you're going back because you're the pastor. <laughs> I don't know why he's asking his mom at 40, but, um, but I thought that was really cute. All right, so other people, right? I don't know if I have to explain much more than that. But we can needle each other, right? I can needle people. We're not, it's not other people. Like I said, I'm quite convinced if I was in my house by myself, I would still sin because it's the heart. So, all right, here we go. Let's talk about how to overcome stress. Wait. Yes. But there are, before we get there, sorry. Consequences of stress. Um, what are some consequences? This is a big deal. Lack of sleep. Yeah, lack of sleep. Anxiousness. High blood pressure. High blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Any other ones? Physical ailments in general. Yes. Can really wreck your body. Cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, let's see. He was talking to a doctor. Yeah. He said several years ago, he, the head of 
a gastrointestinal surgery department at a major hospital in Philadelphia, attended one of my biblical counseling training courses. One evening after class, he told me how much he agreed with what I had been teaching about understanding and solving the problem of people biblically. In the course of our conversation, he said that he believed that at least, this is crazy, at least 65% of the people he operated on wouldn't need the operations he performed if they would only learn how to handle their stressors in a biblical way. 65%. Another one basically, and he talked to another doctor that basically said the same thing. That's crazy. So our response to stress can actually cause more problems internally inside our bodies. So, overcoming factor number one, he says, you must deliberately choose to see everything that happens to you within the framework of the sovereignty of God. Ephesians 1, 11, all things work together for the good of those who love him. Say something. What does it say? All. All things. The tiniest moment in your day. God is over all things. He is in charge of all things. And therefore, he has a purpose for every small thing, every big thing, every moment. That's really encouraging. And he also has equipped us for all of those moments. And that is encouraging, too. Matthew 10, 29. um, Will someone read that for us? Matthew 10, 29. Oh, did I get the wrong one? Never mind. I have the wrong reference, unless someone knows what the reference is, because there's not a 29 in Matthew. Uh, oh, no, there's a 10. Sorry. Whew, thank you. I was like, why did I write the wrong thing? Nope, I'm just confusing myself. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? All right. Maybe I did write the wrong verse down. All right. So, oh, no, it's the next one. Keep reading, please. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. More? Yeah. All through. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Okay, go ahead and stop there. So, Jesus teaches that not even the sparrows, right, die apart from God's will. So if, he's, if he's involved in the sparrow's death and knowing that the sparrow has passed, if he knows every hair in our head, then we can certainly be encouraged that he is concerned about every, every aspect of our life and that he wants to transform every aspect of our life. Romans 8.28, we talked about this already, but all things work together for the good of those who love him. The story of Joseph, right? Everything, even Joseph being in jail for, was it two years, Right? He was in there several times. Several times. And he, yeah. and it was like God had forgotten him, right? Because yeah. he told a man to say, hey, like when you get out, go get it, give a good word for me. Mm-hmm. And the guy forgot mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a mistake. God had perfect timing in that. I hope my response would be the same as Joseph's. This is beautiful. No matter what happened, Paul was convinced that God is good and that his God never makes a mistake in 
2 Corinthians 4, 8, Paul acknowledged that there were times when he didn't fully understand what God was up to, but nonetheless, he was certain that whatever God was up to would ultimately work out for his good and God's glory. That knowledge helped him to overcome stress rather than being overcome by it. What was it that sustained and supported William Carey during the many pressures and trials he experienced before he went to India and while he was there as a missionary? What was it that empowered John Bunyan to respond in a godly manner to being placed in prison for 12 and a half years for no other reason than that he wanted to preach the gospel? What was it that enabled Jonathan Edwards to be kind and loving and compassionate toward the people of Northampton, Massachusetts, when they maligned him and finally rejected him as their pastor? What is it that helped has helped Joni Erickson Tata to consistently, over the years, very sweet and radiant testimony for Christ while being paralyzed and restricted in her movements? What is it that has helped and is helping thousands of others to overcome the stressors that are part of the warp and woof of daily living in this present evil world? The answer, they chose to see everything within the framework of God's sovereignty. We can too. Overcoming factor number two. We must deliberately choose to give thanks in the midst of everything and for everything. Ephesians 520, 1 Thessalonians 518, and 4-6. We can look at those. Let's look at them real quick. We actually we're doing pretty good on time. So let's look there. So who can look at 1 Thessalonians 518 for me? Yes. So Tara said it gives to give thanks in everything, right? In all circumstances. Can someone look up 520? Sorry, Ephesians 520 for me. Giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, everything. That doesn't mean the things that we're happy about. It means things that are hard and difficult and recognizing that he is over all. Who can look up Philippians 4, 6? In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Right, and this is actually a put on put off right here. What are we not to do? Be anxious. Not to worry, right? But instead, who, do, who can we go to? Right. We can actually go to God, who we read before is um, sympathizes with our weaknesses and is gracious towards us. And then it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's the pawn. Renewing our minds with those things. This is a beautiful story that I don't, I'm not super familiar with, but it came up in studying. Let's turn to Second Chronicles 20.
So this is Jehoshaphat's prayer. You will see why he was praying. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them, some of the Minuites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. What did he do? He was first what? He was first afraid, and then he did what? And then he went to the Lord. We're going to be afraid. It's not that we're not going to. It's not that there's not going to be stressors. We talked about that. But then he seeked the Lord. And Judah assembled to seek the Lord. Sorry. Assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. And they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not... God in heaven, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, where you... Would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. So he's reminding himself of the truth of who God is. Our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We don't have to know what to do. What do we need to do? We always need to look to the Lord. We don't have to have all the answers. But we need to look to the Lord. So he deliberately chose to turn his focus to God despite his fear. doesn't it only have to be with fear. It could be with other things that we're stressed about what to do with a child, what to do with school, what to do with a medical issue. We don't have to have the answers. The Lord has the answers. He may not give it to us right now. He may let us be where we're at for a while. But we need to deliberately choose to look to the Lord. All right. We're going to make it. Overcoming number three. Seek to find what God's purpose is in this trial. That encourages me, because I'm sure with all of us, there are things in our life that we, you know, there's lots of things we're not going to understand why God allows those things to happen. But it certainly does encourage me that God is using my trials, my past, not only for my good, 
but also to comfort others, right? Is that Second Corinthians? Where it talks about that we, I think it's Second Corinthians 4, it talks about that we are, our discomforts, God comforts us so that we can comfort others. And that is very encouraging. So what this means is that when we encounter stressors, we should exercise emotional, cognitive, and behavioral self-control and make ourselves deliberately think about what an appropriate, godly, biblical... Nope. Sorry. Wrong one. Um, so as I encounter various stressors in life, I try to focus on truths found in James 1, 2-5, through 5, that God wants to use the stressors in my life to reveal my deficiencies and also to make me more like Jesus. I try to deliberately meditate on the fact that my response will bring to the surface the areas in which I am mature and incomplete. And that when I use Galatians 5, 22 through 23 as a evaluative grid for, so that's the fruit of the Spirit, determining ways in which I am unlike Jesus, the stressors can be turned into an asset in my Christian life. That's really encouraging, isn't it? And we don't have to be perfect. And we're not perfect. So, God is using those things to make us more like him. And we can actually think about how he's doing that in our life. Alright, last one. Overcome fact, overcoming factor number four. Seek what God wants you to do in this stressful situation. And again, that's part of the put on, put off. Sorry, put off, renew, put on. So, example of, um, this is an example of that, like I talked about earlier. We're to put off these things. We're to put on these things. And um, like I said, it says, what, is, what does this mean? Um, that when we encounter stressors, we should exercise emotional, cognitive, behavioral self-control and make ourselves deliberately think about what an appropriate godly response would be. Instead of allowing ourselves to have a knee-jerk reaction, we should develop the habit of bringing every thought into captivity and making it obedient to Christ. When under stress, we should discipline ourselves to ask the question, what would God have me do and how should I respond? So my hope is that we would become people that see this as a heart issue, but knowing that God can transform us into from people of anger, people of stress, um, anxiousness, and he can transform those things into people of grace because we should be transformed and being made more like Christ to overcome these things so we do not look like the world and that we do not have the world's answers either and that is encouraging so let me go ahead and pray or actually um, Brittany would you pray for us thank you so much for this morning and this time we have to be in your word and just um, Lord reveal our sins to us that we would, it would just be clear and um, that you would move the Holy Spirit within us to show us our anger and um, God just give us the power to overcome it and to come to you, Lord, and to put um, all the things you have for us to put on, Lord, that we can be a light to the world and um, show how different a Christian lives um, and that there are answers in you, Lord, or that are seeking um, everywhere but you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just thank you um, for this morning and as we go in. Um, to church this morning, God, that we would just be focused on you and um, get to worship you well together, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.